All right, now we're going to turn today to the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm Pastor Cole. We're glad to have you with us this morning. I used to be the pastor here. And uh, I'm Pastor Emeritus, whatever that means. (laughs) To help you find the book of Ecclesiastes, let's start with the first book and say them out loud. Ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Okay, so you should know where we're at now here. I'm just going to use verse 1 to launch into the sermon. I'll I'll be all over the place a little bit here this morning. But uh, we do want to just get into the word of the Lord for a little bit today. Uh, Yeah, Yvonne comes home today. Let's all be a blessing to her. I don't even know what to say, but uh, may God give us the right words. Pastor Seth had his 49th birthday yesterday. He wasn't feeling well. He wasn't feeling well today, but he's here. And any of you teens that want to go to winter camp between Christmas and New Year's, you're not doing anything anyways. It's boring. You're at home. I don't know what you're doing at home, but go to camp. And uh, it's down here in Sinclairville, not far away. And it is tremendous, tremendous uh, time. Don't forget now for these special events we have to park in the back if you can. If you can physically walk in, uh, park way in the back beyond the uh, Eden Tool and Die business. We have a parking lot back there if you can. If you can, if you're a senior citizen or disabled, that's fine to park up here behind the church. Uh, if we could use, because visitors do come for these uh, Christmas activities. Amen. Looking forward to the candlelight service. We got battery-operated candles for the kids. All right? Kids get to participate, hold their own candle with a a battery-operated candle. They won't burn the church down. And uh, so bring the kids, and just some of these things are just memorable and uh, spiritual and meaningful as well as sentimental, and, and uh, that is uh, one of them. Now, I need you to have somebody with a Bible uh, and then somebody with a songbook. And if you could turn in your songbook, I'm going to do something a little bit different, quite different this morning, and turn to page 666. 666, a long time ago, and... I'm going to guess 20, 25 years ago. I don't even remember what it was. I, I did a whole series on hymnology. Hymnology. H-Y-M-N. Hymnology. And I don't know if I did it in church, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night. I don't think, I, maybe it was seniors dinners or something. But, but uh, it, 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 it'll bless your heart to um, study some of the, the hymns in light of the scriptures. And uh, you'll see why I want to read this verse when we get to the history behind the hymn, page 666, which is called, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And I want to speak this morning on the subject of the teenager's song. The teenager's song. Chapter 12, verse 1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Uh, It is possible to live a life of regrets uh, if we happen to forget our Creator 
in the days of our youth. And so this warning here in verse 1 is that we remember. Remember now thy creator. It is possible, especially in the world we live in, to get so distracted by a thousand things that the last thing you remember is your creator. And the last thing you think about is your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you the story of a teenager today named William Featherston. If you'll notice on your hymn book there on page 666, there's a poem here written called My Jesus, I Love Thee. And way at the bottom, you'll see the text is written by William R. Featherstone. Now, there's no E at the end of his name. That is actually just a mistake in our hymn book. It's actually William J. Featherston. And uh, he wrote the words. That's what that means at the bottom of every one of your hymns. Who wrote the words to the song? And then below that, who wrote the accompanying music? And you see his name is Adoniram J. Gordon. Don't confuse that with a famous missionary or anything. This was a pastor, a Baptist pastor of a little local church up near New Hampshire. Uh, up in uh, New Hampshire, Adoniram uh, Gordon. William Featherston is the one who wrote the words to this poem called My Jesus, I Love Thee. And the interesting thing about Featherstone, now he was born back in 1848. Uh, So this is back in the 1800s. And he was 17 years old when he wrote the words to this hymn. He was 16 years old when he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And uh, this hymn is deep. And how he learned so deeply about Jesus Christ in one year, I don't know, but it is possible. Uh, You can be as close to the Lord. You can learn as much about the Lord as you want. It's it's, It's pretty much up to you. God has left that up to you uh, or me of our own free spirit, uh, free will to study about him, and, but he invites us. Uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, Jesus said, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Now, I, as I mentioned, I, I've studied a lot of hymnology over the years. The history behind the hymns there, it's absolutely fascinating. It makes it more uh, meaningful. And as we study the life of Christ, in uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 26, we find it says that after he had the Passover dinner in the upper room, and then he instituted communion or the Lord's Supper afterwards, then it says these words, and he sung a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. And hymn, H-Y-M-N. A hymn is a poem. A hymn is a poem that is then placed to music or some melody that is uh, sung. And so when we say open up in your hymn book, you'll find that almost every uh, song in your book is a poem. It's it's poetry. Uh, God must love poetry. He invented it. You and I cannot read Hebrew. I can't speak for you, but I can't. But if you and I could speak Hebrew or read Hebrew and we had a copy of the original Hebrew text, which is what the Old Testament was written in initially, 
When you came to books like this one, Ecclesiastes, or earlier Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, those are all poems. They're all poems. If you could read Hebrew, they're all poems. And uh, the book of Lamentations is uh, poetry in, in the original language. And so God believes in poetry. God invented poetry. And I want to encourage all of you to try it. Try to write some poems and you'll, you'll find yourself really thinking deeply about the things of God as you try to put what you believe in, into uh, poetry. And there's not enough of that uh, today. And uh, we, we should, uh, I would encourage you to, to try to be a poet uh, to, uh, in, to some form. Um, when uh, Jesus sang a hymn uh, up there in the upper room before he went out of Jerusalem and over into the uh, Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives and there he was betrayed and arrested and then, of course, crucified the next day. But it says he sang a hymn, which meant he sang either Psalm 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, 118, or 136, those Seven psalms, which was the Jewish hymn book, uh, were sang after the Passover dinner. So it was one of those that he sang with his disciples. And it's the only reference we have of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, using music in his ministry. And so we, we know, and I think we can see today, that sometimes music has become the main thing in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it should never be the main thing. But it is important, it is powerful, it is a tool that God can use to teach and admonish and edify people. And our church once in a while has a cantata or candlelight service like we have this week. We don't get carried away, but but we love the hymns and we love music in their proper perspective. The main thing in the church is Jesus Christ. All right, it's not music, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And his commission to us is that of evangelism and discipleship, uh, not worship and praise, although every one of us should worship and praise the Lord, and we're going to see that in this poem uh, today. But we can worship and praise the Lord for all of eternity, amen? amen? Would you agree with that? But we can only win souls to Christ for a little more time. And we can only disciple people for a little more time. And we can only send out missionaries for a little more time. For our Lord said, work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. If you're going to do some work, you've you got to do it in this life. If you're going to do some work for the Lord, uh, you've got to do it in this life. And so, William... Uh, Featherston is 17 years old. Now, the reason I bring that up is because in all of my study of hymnology, I don't know of another hymn that was written by a teenager. I don't know one. In fact, most of the hymns, amazingly, uh, were written by adults, senior citizens, and uh, they were the products, the ones that lasted, the ones that have lasted the test of time with God's hand and God's blessing on them, are songs that were birthed usually in old age, in sorrow, in tragedy, in trials and temptations. And, 
or, or, or long seasons of service, faithful service to the Lord, and such as it should be. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly, teaching and admonishing one another. That's kind of the qualifications of a songwriter, is that the word of God, the Bible, needs to dwell in that person richly before they write the songs. And, and I'm afraid today we have many, many shallow songs uh, in the body of Christ that are being written by people that don't know the Lord, that don't know the Bible. And uh, so it's people who through a, a, a great deal of Bible knowledge and a great deal of trials and tribulations and sorrow and or as it says in Job chapter 35 and verse 10, he giveth songs in the night. He giveth songs in the night. And it's, it's often, if you'll study hymnology, the best hymns that we ever sang before, you know, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. That was after his entire family perished in a fire. And uh, these, these songs uh, bless our hearts and the body of Christ to this day. Because God gives songs in the night and, night. and sometimes he has to bring a person into the darkest, deepest nights of their life to give them the most wonderful songs. Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the path that I take. And Ron Hamilton wrote that song when he had cancer. And, uh, you know, God never moves without purpose or plan. And what depths there is to that song. How many people, probably by the millions, that song has encouraged who have been going through times of suffering. So I want you to notice William Featherstone. He's 17 years old. And he writes four verses. And I'd like to precede each verse with a scripture. And so if you could turn now to Psalm 18 and verse number 1. Psalm 18, now that's just a few books in front of Ecclesiastes, if you're still there. Psalm 18, and verse number 1, and uh, we see here, the psalmist simply says these words, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. I want you to notice the the writer here makes a, a choice. I will love thee. You know that love is a choice, you know that? It's, it's, it's something we can choose to do. It's something we can choose to do every day. And no human should have to write this. Every human should just do this. We all should love the Lord. But I'm glad for the words that he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. I don't know what anybody else is going to do, but I will love thee. I will love thee. And I want you to notice that verse in the light of the first verse of his poem. Featherston writes, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Now, I'm not trying to be critical, but you don't hear many teenage young men speak like that. Everybody loves something. We were wired by God to love. And we all love something. And uh, we all have a first love in our hearts. 
uh, something that we live for, uh, that we love, that we cherish. And it, it could be something as shallow as sports or something like that. But money, the things of this world, the love of money is the root of all evil. We all love something. We're all, we're all experts at love. We, uh, a lot of times it's self-love. Uh, men shall be lovers of their own selves, we're warned in the last days. And perilous times would come because of it. But every one of us is in love with something. And the psalmist said, I will love thee, my Lord. And the hymn writer said, my Jesus, I love thee. Imagine a 17-year-old speaking. This is wonderful. This is an illustration of somebody following the verse we began the service with today. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. But I want you to notice, and I want you, I'm just going to kind of tie a little bit of Christmas into this about some things we can give to the Lord Jesus for his birthday. And I want you to notice, number one, he gives purity. The writer here, William Featherston, chooses to give purity to the Lord in his life. Let me read the words again. Verse one, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Isn't that wonderful? Before I go on, do you know that the Lord Jesus is yours? Uh, like the, the writer to the canticle said, I am his and he is mine. I am his, he is mine. Do you know that? Oh, I, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. He will never leave us or forsake us. I have the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior, and I have since I was 12 years old. Do you have a testimony today? Are you sure? Are you sure you have a testimony where you've received Christ as your Savior? But notice he says now, for thee all the follies of sin I resign. I don't know what kind of a life he lived up there in Montreal, Canada, where he grew up in. I don't know what the follies of sin were in his life, but I'll tell you, by 17, some young men can get into some pretty bad stuff. Or by 16. Uh, I know that was my uh, story. I really struggled in my youth. I was a brand new believer in the Lord, but boy, the world was getting to me. We were living in a day and age when rock and roll had been introduced into our society and like a steamroller just kind of went across our country and flattened everything in its way. And um, I, I can remember all the rebellion and stubbornness and pride that was attached to it and, and the anarchy and, and it was just crazy times and, and the days of the hippies and things. It was just crazy times. I don't know, in 1848, when he was born, and by the time he was a teenager, I don't know what his struggles were. But he made a decision that because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ, he was going to give him purity. You know, that's something we can give to the Lord Jesus. It's his birthday, by the way. It's kind of funny, isn't it? We ought to give something to the Lord Jesus Christ on his birthday. It'd be strange to call for a birthday for somebody, and then everybody gives gifts to everybody else except the person who has the birthday. And uh, we should be looking for things. What can I give to the Lord? You that are young still. You that are in your youth, your teens, your 20s, whatever, why don't you give purity? That is something that not a lot of youth are giving to their creator today. But that's something you can give. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. Sin is foolish. Uh, sin is too, too stupid to see beyond itself. 
uh, it has no sight beyond today. Sin bringeth forth death. Why would we love sin? Uh, it, it kills people. It, it sends them to an everlasting grave and an everlasting uh, abode in hell forever separated from God. Who would want that? And then for those that are believers, those that have been saved, sin can, can kill that abundant life in us that the Lord wants us to enjoy. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And that's, that's laid out for us. Uh, if the Lord says, if you're saved, you, you can have an abundant life. And, and I, I'm going to preach on that pretty soon, I think, what that means. But some people sacrifice that abundant life because of sin, even as believers. It's folly. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou, if ever I love thee. My Jesus, uh, tis now. And so youth, I want to encourage you to give the Lord purity in a day and age that is not pure. Turn to Psalm 25 and verse number 7. That should just be a page or two over. The psalmist David here makes a good confession. He says, remember not the sins of my youth. Now, again, I don't know what sins David had in his youth. He was always out there playing his harp, watching his sheep. He seemed to be as pure as the freshly driven snow until some things later in life. But even in his life, he admitted there were some sins in his youth. Some sins in his youth. And children are pretty innocent, aren't they? In fact, they're so innocent that until they can understand the gospel, I believe they're eternally safe in God's grace and mercy. But then there comes an age of accountability uh, when they've crossed the line and they, they, they know what is right and what is wrong. And by nature, because they're sinners and I'm a sinner, we choose wrong. Uh, and then we need a savior. We need to be born again. We need to be saved. And uh, so David says, remember not the sins of my youth. Well, there's a subject right there. Paul told Timothy, the young preacher, keep thyself pure and God can use pure men and God can use purified men maybe you're here today as a a young person or young man young lady and you say but I've already blown it I'm not pure anymore you know there was a great story of another guy that uh, lived back in uh, this this case in England and he admitted by his own testimony uh, that by the time he was 20 years of age, he said, I had, I had committed every single wicked, vile sin a young man can possibly commit. That's what he admitted. He said that's how bad he was till he was 20. He went to college, and on the campus, they had a Bible study and a prayer meeting going on a Wednesday night, and he walked in there, and he heard the gospel. And he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And when you get saved, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that a precious promise? That's good for me. I need that. Cleanses from all sin, not just the worst ones, all sin. And from that day on, he began to live a life of faith, married a wonderful woman. And George Mueller lived to be 92 years of age. And if you've never read a biography about George Mueller, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. You owe it to your kids. He's perhaps one of the most prominent prayer 
warriors in all of Christian history. Uh, he started an orphanage in England. And by the time he, he died, when he was 92, 93, something like that, by, by, by the time he died, th- those orphanages grew and grew and grew, and he was had under his care at, at times thousands of orphans. And not one of them ever missed one meal. Not one of them ever uh, was not clothed properly or didn't have shelter or heat. And, and, and they were given an education, thousands and thousands of them. And he did it all on his knees in prayer with his wife. And he never asked another human being for help. Never put out a letter asking for support or anything. He just trusted God. And God came through with over, in his days, what would be the equivalent of over $7 million in contributions that he never asked anyone for except the Lord. And yet in his youth, he had done things that he probably thought had disqualified him from ever being used by God, but that's not true. And I don't know what you have done in your life, but I, I, I can tell you even from experience that the Lord can forgive you if you'll give a good confession, a good repentance of that sin and, and give yourself to the Lord and he'll give you another chance. No matter who you are today, no matter what age you are, the Lord loves you, the Lord cares about you, the Lord will forgive you, and the Lord will still use you in a great way. But we need to get to the place where William Featherston did, for thee all the follies of sin, I resign. Could you turn now to the New Testament book of 1 John that's way in the back by Revelation, just before it. I want to look at the second verse now, the second verse of the teenager's hymn, the teenager's song. In 1 John 4.19, it simply says these words, we love him because he first loved us. Our love's kind of conditional, isn't it? But his isn't. His has no conditions on it. We love him because he first loved us. I've always said to people when they're having marriage problems or whatever, I said, well, let the strongest person go first. Let the strongest person go first. Or if you've got some ought between another brother or sister in Christ and the body of Christ, let the strongest person go first. We love him because he first loved us. He first loved us. Well, I'm waiting for them to apologize on their knees, walking on shards of glass uh, for what they did to me. Well, no, no, let the strongest person go first. We love him because he first Loved us. Now look at your hymn book, verse 2. I love thee because thou hast first loved me. And purchase my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus tis now. What a teenager. One year old in Christ. If I ever loved thee, it's now, but he, but he admitted here, I love thee because you first loved me. And somebody shared with him when he was 16 years of age the love of Jesus Christ, and he asked the Lord to come into his heart and be his Savior. And whatever the Lord did for him a year later, he, he wrote this profound hymn. Young men, 
We read this, if you'll turn back to chapter 2, 1 John 2, uh, and uh, we read this Wednesday night, so I'll be brief here. Wednesday night says this about young men and their potential. Look at verse 12, 1 John 2, 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto thee, fathers, you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. Why? The word of God abideth in you. See, young men can be strong if they have the word of God abiding in you. And I want to encourage you, young men, and I don't know what kind of a world you live, but you've got to shut off your cell phone and get off the Internet and away from the websites and some of the sports and all that movies and stuff and get your Bibles out. Get your Bibles out and have the word of God abide in you, young ladies too, because then you will become strong. And when it says you can overcome the wicked one, that's referring to the devil. And the devil's getting the best of this generation. But you need to be a young man and a young lady who'll stand up and show this generation our God is still alive. And there's nothing too hard for the Lord to do. And you can, this world is throwing more temptation at this generation than any generation has ever faced. Yet the Bible says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And you can, by the grace of God, be a shining light. And the light shines the the brightest in the darkest of days. And these are dark days spiritually, at least in our country. And we need some young men and young ladies up and coming who have overcome the wicked one. Because the word of God, we've got to get some Bible readers and Bible meditators and Bible memorizers among the youth. And I know some of you are trying. Keep it up. Keep it up. Our Lord tells us about the greatest revival I think that's ever coming. And in Revelation chapter number 4, and you can read about that sometime, the Bible says God's going to use 144,000 young men, virgins, who have never been defiled by women. That means they've never been fornicators. God's going to use them to bring about the greatest revival ever, I think, in the tribulation period, which may be right around the corner. I don't know. I don't know. They're from the Jews. They're from Israel. And boy, the the Jews are having over 100,000 baby boys every year in Israel. They're being born. That prophecy in Revelation 14 can be fulfilled in our day and age. And boy, they're going to come to know the Lord as their Savior, and they're going to evangelize the world. It says they're going to follow the Lamb with us, whoever he leadeth. And when you follow, you fish. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. God can use young people. And I want you to notice, number two, he gave the Lord Jesus love. In verse one, he gave him purity. Here he gave him love. My Jesus, I love thee because thou hast first loved me. In fact, he mentions love, I think, nine or ten times just in this hymn. That's not normal for a teenage young man to speak like that. But we need it. We need some. The great revival over in Wales, they say, started when a 13-year-old girl at a prayer meeting stood up and said, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. And that revival became a fire that couldn't be put out for 50 years. 
all over Wales and Scotland and England and then over into the United States because a teenage girl in a prayer meeting. Oh, we need teen girls in prayer meeting. We need teen young men in prayer meeting who will pray. She said, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. You read the history. They point back to that moment when that revival started. Changed the world at that time. We need some world-changing revivals right about now. We do. And I believe it's the youth. God, Jesus came to this earth, and I believe every man he chose was in his 20s. It's my purse, because you, you read about John still being alive in 95 A.D., 100 A.D., Peter being crucified when he was 67 A.D., and they had to be in their 20s. And the Lord Jesus, when he came to earth, looked around for a bunch of young men. Looked around for a bunch of young men. He still uses old men, too. I understand that, but I'm getting old. But I hope he uses me a little bit anyway. But, boy, he uses young men. They, got, they, they can have the Word of God in them, overcome the world, and, and just be champions for Christ who still have the physical energy. The, the, the glory of young men is their strength. And boy, they can give that physical strength and spiritual strength to the Lord and just move mountains. Just move mountains. Girls can too. Girls can too. Turn now to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. And actually, these will be a little shorter. Philippians 1 verse 20. That's in the New Testament, Philippians 1 verse 20. Here's the Apostle Paul. He was a young man. Remember that? They laid their the coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And boy, God had got a hold of his heart when he was a young man. Wow. The rest is history. He said this about himself. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, Philippians 1.20, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Notice these words now, whether it be by life or by death. So that Christ shall be magnified in my life, in my body. Oh, we need to give our bodies to the Lord. The the devil wants our bodies. The world wants our bodies. There is just so much dishonoring of the human body today in our world. And our bodies belong to the Lord so it says, the Bible says that, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now look at the third verse. He says, I'll love thee in life. I will love thee in death and praise thee. I notice that. Number three, give Jesus praise. Young people, give Jesus praise. They give so much praise nowadays to athletes, to singers, to musicians to Hollywood actors, uh, so much praise going out. And then these people die like it's nothing. I can remember all the sports heroes of the 60s and 70s that I used to watch and, and we'd adore. And they're all dead now. They died like nothing. They did. They died like it was nothing. But at the time, people thought they were everything. I'll love thee in life, I'll love thee in death, and praise thee as long 
as thou lendest me breath. I think of Psalm 150, verse 6 right there. It says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. If we have breath, we should be praising the Lord with it. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. That, those words, he didn't know it, but were almost prophetic. He never heard his song sung. The music was written after he died because he died when he was 27 from consumption. Probably tuberculosis, a germ, I think. 27. You don't know how long you're going to live. And I don't either. But he said almost prophetically in a song, I'll I'll love thee and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath and say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus till not. I hope all you young people live to be in your 60s, 70s, 80s. I really do. I really do. But I'm not in control of that. William Featherston only lived 10 years after writing this poem. And I don't believe he ever wrote it for publication. I think he just wrote it as an expression of his heart to his God. And isn't it precious? Isn't it intimate? Do we have that with the Lord Jesus? Or is he someone we just know afar off? Yeah, he is my Savior. I accepted him, you know, as my Savior 30 years ago. And I kind of lost track of him since then. But uh, no, no. This is intimate here. And Niram uh, <clears throat> Gordon was a pastor in New Hampshire, right under Montreal, so somehow he got a hold of this. After he died, after he died. And listen, as far as I know, you can't find a good English hymn book on earth today that doesn't have this song Doesn't have this song. You can't find one. If it's decent at all. And there's been so many hymn books published over the years. I've looked at so many of them. You can't find one that doesn't have this song. My Jesus, I love thee. I love thee. I love thee. I hope it expresses the feelings of your own heart today. Praise. Praise. So in verse 1, he gave, him, he gave his Lord purity. In verse two, 2, love. Verse 3, praise. And then verse 4, worship. Uh, turn to John 14 in closing. John 14. Now when I say in closing, that doesn't always mean what I say. I was at New Beginnings Baptist Church last week in, in Kennedy. And I said to them, I said, uh, now a lot of preachers get up and say, I'm not going to preach for a long time today. I'm not going to say that. I said, I'm here for a long time. I came a long ways to say a lot of things. <laughs> so I could use your attention. And they, they, they were very good about it. Well, I am so excited about what God is doing in Kennedy. That is just a praise his holy name. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. This is, he's saying this the day before he's killed. He's crucified. And he's not worried about himself. He's concerned for those he's talking to. Isn't this precious? He says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house. Are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now with that in mind, let's read the last verse of the hymn. Verse 4. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I want you to notice the worship William Featherstone gave to our Lord. That word adore is about the closest word we have in the English language that is synonymous with worship. Some people think worship is music. No, if you read your Bible, you're going to have to study this out yourself. I have done this. I have taken every verse in the Bible on worship. It has nothing to do with music. And yet there are people in the body of Christ today who think worship has everything to do with music. That's praise. It has nothing to do. Worship comes from a word from the Greek, which refers to a dog's adoration for his master or for her master. Some of you have dogs. They won't leave you alone. They follow you everywhere. I've seen people mowing the lawn. The guy goes that way and the dog's behind him. Then he goes this way and the dog's behind him. goes this way. Or some dog that looks like he's completely asleep and as soon as his master gets off the couch, he's like, and he goes out to the kitchen with him. It's, the, it's a reference of a dog licking his master's hand. That's what the word worship is. Adoring the Lord. We just sang a few minutes ago, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. We should. We should. We adore these sports stars and all these famous. We should adore Christ. Oh, come, let us adore him. And he says in mansions of glory. He must have been reading his Bible, this guy. To write a song like this after being saved for a year. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee. In heaven so bright. I don't know what you're going to give for Christmas. Mike was just telling me he's going to give obedience. He just told that to me before church. He said Christmas is coming up. We should give something. He had no idea what I was preaching on. He said we should give something to Christ this Christmas. I'm going to give obedience because that's love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, obey, obedience, if you love me. What are you going to give to Christ? William Featherston didn't get to live long. Never heard his song sung. What a blessing it's been to millions, millions of people. God can use teenagers, and God could use some teenagers right about now and 20s and 30s and just say I'm, I've given the rest of my youth to the Lord so let's sing this if we could and turn to page 666 you probably got it open we'll close the service here by singing 
And I hope maybe a little bit of hymnology, a little bit of Christmas this morning, a little bit of doctrine, teaching, help us appreciate our Lord more. And if a 17-year-old boy can speak so intimately, why, are, why would we be ashamed? The Lord said, don't be ashamed of me or my words. And if you get the chance someday and you're in bunch, around a bunch of old uh, unsaved people or people are cursing Christ, and, and if you can just say, well, I just want everyone here to know I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what you all say about him. I love him. He's done so much for me. And if you got anything on your heart today to pray about, remember God's house is a house of prayer to all nations. You can come to the altar, these chairs up here, pray. Maybe you got to pray for somebody that's on your heart that's really going through it.